we're recording. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. My name is Matt. This is Our Novel Experience, the podcast. It is Saturday, April 25th. With me, as always, is Aaron. Hello. And Anna. Hi. And last week's homework, I'm going to get started here, was Ivory Circle, a local Denver band, and their song, Trigger. Um, I listened to this song on repeat. Man, it was, it built beautifully. Uh, it started off a little piano-y, little just piano and vocals, and then layer after layer of instrumentation and percussion and build built onto it. And it just, it had a very, very good ramp with some good self harmonies by the singer. Her name is uh, Connie Hung. And the bassist, Chris Beeble, uh, Rob Spradling on percussion. It was great. Uh, I could totally see this in any Bond movie over some credits. It's it's a very lively uh, song, in, in my opinion. It just, it has a great ramp. Um, I, I, I think it was, I think it was great. I'm so excited to have heard this, uh, in a, from a Denver band. And I, I expect tons of this. They did have a, another song that I very much enjoyed. That was, uh, uh, I've had it right here a second ago. Never let me go, which was very fun. Had a lot of uh, different instrumentation. So a lot of like plinking guitars or piano or like harpsichords. It, it was great. Um, but yeah, the song trigger by ivory circle, I thought was delightful and I'm, I'm very happy to have listened to it. Uh, Aaron, what do you think? Man, I gotta tell you, when you hit the nail on the head, when you said bond movie, um, it's funny. I listened to it probably five times this morning alone, trying to get a feel for the song. I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure I enjoyed it as much as you did, Matt, but I really enjoyed it. And I was trying to figure out what the emotion was that it evoked. And Bond movie absolutely was it. Like I could, it felt like an intro Bond movie scene that you could see kind of that typical, you know, uh, dancing women theme goes on most intro bond movies. And that was what it felt like. I thought it was really good. Um, not my style of music necessarily, but very, it, it, it definitely evoked emotion. So it was good. Yeah. I, I, I'm really thrilled to hear that you guys had such positive, um, responses to this because I was, I was really, really, um, interested in getting more local music onto our podcast since we are a Denver podcast and having followed so many bands in the Denver area and been just kind of meh about most of them, even, even the ones my friends are in. Sorry, all of you, I love you, but you know, just is. Um, and this really blew me away. And I, I, this song in particular out of all of their music I feel showcases the vocalist the most. I mean, it's all kind of her deal anyway. She is the singer songwriter, but I listened to all three of their albums. So they have three albums. Um, I'm going to, hopefully I get them in the right order. It goes equilateral is their first one. Then 
isosceles and then scaling. Um, so each one is named after a different triangle, which I find charming. Um, and the third one, scaling, I think is the best because I feel like the vocalist has come into her own. She really, like they allow the vocals to come to the fore in their mixes more than in any of the other ones. Um, she was a teacher before, or is she still a teacher or what, what do we know about that? So in interviews that I've seen with her, she used to be a middle school choir teacher. So she, but she left public education to work on her own musical career. Aaron, you, you're, what, oh, what did you sorry. have to say? I said it was probably more rewarding for her in some ways. Um, but I'm glad that she, I mean, I like what she's put together. It's pretty enthralling. Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned emotion, that seems to be her strong suit. Each one of the albums sort of explores a different emotional minefield. Uh, the first one it speaks less to me because it's a lot more about spirituality, which is not something that, of course, is going to be a big draw for a listener like me. But then each one goes into exploring like issues having to do with her family and then issues having to do with relationships. And then um, Trigger is a solo song, just a single, um, that is, from what I understand, exploring a past relationship. Um, and the the imagery and the lyrics that she uses are so incredibly evocative. I don't know. What did you guys think of the lyrical part of it? I thought it, I thought it was fantastic. The, the, what, from what I remember of the words, it was, um, you gave me the gun and no other way out. Uh, then you made me pull the trigger. I mean, I think we've all been there in relationships where, <laughs> yeah, somebody forces your hand, you have to make a decision one way or another and get, you know, pushed to having to make a, a decision that there isn't a way back out of. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I, I think Matt, you really hit it on the head with how it builds too, where it goes from being just, you know, it's, it's very gentle at first. And then the, the, emotional raw nature of of her voice and the instrumentation just really becomes clear as it reaches its crescendo and i love that in music yeah when she started self-harmonizing with herself uh part way through that started to get really haunting and like just desperate and and tons of of, of emotions there yeah, that, that self-harmonizing piece, I don't know, I, I'm curious, Aaron, what your take is on that. Like for me, when vocalists either self-harmonize or they harmonize with another person, like it, it gives me chills, it, you know, it gives me goosebumps. What do you I think agree. of that, Aaron? I agree with you on that. And I thought it was, it was pretty beautiful the way she did that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. It's not something that you get to see much of. It feels like self-harmonizing doesn't happen. You, you see a lot of harmonizing with another with another artist, but with yourself, I thought that was pretty interesting and pretty impressive. It definitely, and it was. It's a very emotional piece. That that self-harmonizing thing actually somewhat reminded me of uh, uh, Stone Sour and Corey from Slipknot. 
he does self-harmonizing a whole bunch. This does not sound like Slipknot <laughs> in any capacity. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. But yeah, that the way, cool he, the way he does that as well. Well, and um, it, it led, when I was looking up more information about this band, it just sent me down this path of making connections with music that speaks to me specifically, like things that I love more than anything else. And that harmonizing aspect uh, reminds me, actually, I've seen it a lot on stage uh, anymore. So a lot of artists that don't have, they don't have a giant backing band. They don't have backing vocalists. They're just getting started or they're on tour and it's hard to pay a large band to be on tour with you. They do a lot of looping. And I've watched, I've watched a lot of hip hip hop artists do it where they lay down, you know, some backing vocals for themselves and then start rapping over it. And it is, it is a technical skill that is amazing and a musical skill that is beyond anything I can understand. But when you watch it come together live, it is so cool. And again, gives you that like prickly up your back feel when you watch someone do it really well. There, that reminds me, there was an artist I saw, and I don't know his name. I know nothing about him, but I saw him in Minnesota when I lived there. He did, it was, he had a guitar and uh, some looping equipment and live, he looped an entire song. So he would do a, you know, a bass line on the guitar and they have that start looping. And then he would play some other pieces and have that loop that in all real time with a pedal board in front of him on the ground and then added lyrics. And it was, it was mostly rap. It was, it was, he was rapping with it, but I mean, it was very impressive. It was obviously something he had practiced a lot to make it appear so seamless. That, that for me was technically just so impressive watching someone do that. I'm going to try and figure out who that was, if I can figure out a way to do that and maybe get that for us in the future to listen to. That'd be fantastic. So like there are plenty of examples of phenomenal bands in and around town and I don't even know why I'm being specific about the placement bands like she wants revenge bands like um, the black keys and Denver's band in the whale, which are all duos where there's just a drummer, a guitarist and singing, and they're able to build huge amounts of pressure and liveliness just out of two people doing, doing that. So they don't, you know, need big backing bands to be able to do that. It's just a, a couple sets of sets of people making phenomenal, phenomenal sounds. But I, I do think like, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think absolutely small groups and even individuals can do this and pull it off. But there's something really special about groups of people coming together and using their human instrument to create sound. So I think it's a little bit controversial. A lot of people don't love acapella. I think it's amazing. Even even the music that's not that great is still, there's still something incredibly uniquely human in that action. And I really, really found an appreciation for acapella when one of my favorite artists that I follow quite religiously, Dessa, she wrote an article for National Geographic about her trip to Corsica, 
where she specifically went to listen to a Corsican group called Afaleta. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, where it's these men that perform in the most raw vocal fashion. It is the most emotionally evocative stuff I have ever heard. And it just gives you like seeing it in a different realm. And then instead of just like the glee club of things, watching it in and listening to it in a much more deeply culturally entrenched level I had a power that I, I cannot get over to this day. I still point people at this all the time. I would like to have that as a good transition or to, to share something that has made me extremely happy over these past couple of uh, weeks. And that is the dandy Dans. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Never heard of them. They are a group of guys who perform at Disneyland and Disney world. It's a barbershop quartet and they wander around and they have some performances during the day. And it, um, in Halloween, they're undead and, during the rest of the year, they're wearing their traditional gear. They have been putting together for the stay-at-home stuff the these compilations of them all singing into camera, uh, doing acapella, and doing basically barbershop quartet. Uh, and it's been just absolutely delightful. A great little bright piece of sunshine right now that is is very nice feeling. Yeah, that sounds glorious. So you said Dandy Dans, right? Or the Dandy Dans? Uh, Dandy Dans. I think if you just look up Dandy Dans, you'll find them. Excellent. Yeah, that's... We have a situation where we've already shared, like, people are posting all of these performances online, and it's really hard to capture some instruments, but the human voice is it's kind of uniquely suited for this remote situation. At least that's, that's how I feel about it. I mean, not everyone has a studio set up, but you can, most voice recording equipment can do a decent job, decent ish job of capturing the human voice. But totally speaking of the human voice, do you guys want to get into our second piece of homework? Are we, absolutely. are we good on the, the ivory circle? I absolutely recommend everybody check them out. Yeah. Uh, they are in our, uh, our novel playlist. So you're feel free to listen to them there. We've linked the one song trigger, check out their other work. It's, it's pretty great. So our second piece of homework was to listen to the episode. It could be glorious in the podcast, our plague year. So Aaron. Yeah. Okay. So I am not a fan of things that, make me sad because I don't mean I just that's when I usually go to a podcast, I'm looking for something to either teach me something really new or to make me feel, make me laugh or make me feel good about things. And even that being the case, this episode was phenomenal. I am I I don't I don't want to have to break out the tissues, but this this episode is really good. It's got really two stories in this episode. The first one is um, gentleman talking about when he was staying in Airbnb in 2016 
during the um, the U.S. election, and as he watched the election unfold, realizing that you know the president was going to be Donald Trump, and dealing with that emotionally, he proceeded to consume what in the Airbnb a very special bottle of booze. Um, not real, you know. Not realizing at first that it had more emotion, more reason behind it than just a bottle of bourbon. Um, and so, really, the story goes. He talks more about, you know, wanting to add value and wanting to, you know, wanting to make up for, make amends for possibly, you know, doing more damage than intended when he went to drink that. But I really liked it because it, it was humanizing and it talked about bringing, you know, he, how the, the owner of the Airbnb reacted and kind of said, I get it. It's a, it's a rough time right now. And it's tough. It's tough in, you know, to deal with the things going on in the world. And it's just a bottle of bourbon in the end. Um, so I thought it was really good. The second, the second act was, also very touching, but I mean, and, and the story was good. And the, uh, our plague year tends to, the stories tend to all be similar in some regards around getting back, you know, like what's in, remembering what's important as we go through some pretty hellacious times in the world. Um, so I thought that was good, but it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. It was, it has some entertainment. It was it was interesting, and it definitely hooks you. But it is um, it's not my style as much as it's because it's so emotional. So I will counter that. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it, I'm sorry, that's not a counter. Uh, I will I'll share my perspective. How about that? Thank you. <laughs> um, the the point I believe of the first there were actually I think three stories. The first one was about dogs and getting to know the neighbors through their animals without knowing the neighbors is sort of how I felt that one went. And I thought that was pretty great. I think the point of the second story, which is the maker's mark story was how to seek solace with your friends when they are also being victimized by the society along with you. Uh, and, and more of more of that position. One my favorite quote that I heard in it was what it means to live in an umbrella free society during a permanent rainstorm. It, it was, it, it was so aptly uh, used good words beautifully to uh, summarize sort of what I think a lot of us have been feeling for the past several years. And it's culminated in what we're feeling right now. This is a very apt thing. The other part that I thought was just uh, very, very emotionally uh, evocative was the I dare you section of, of that. And I, I saw, Annie, you wrote that down in the notes. I was going to write that down in the notes as well. That was the part that got me of this. There was the 
you know, traditional description of the current struggles, what someone was going through, why what they were dealing with was difficult. And we all have different stories to different scales of that. But the call and response of the culmination of the truth or dare section in, I dare you to be better. I dare you to, it's just all of that was pretty, pretty strong. I can totally see um, it, it is a, it is a difficult subject, but man, that felt, I felt good hearing that from that person. I, I felt, I felt like they were talking to me and each of us where it was, I, they, she, they were saying it to the, through the voice of a child. But I think what they were saying was into the microphone to each listener. I dare you. And I think that was a very powerful just shift of the perspective and the diamond dynamics from talking to me to talk or to talking about themselves to talking to the listener. And I felt that was just a very uh, deft maneuver that shifted the emotional burdens of the, of the story to the listener. Yeah. I mean, so I kind of want to give credit where credit's due just to back it up a little bit. Um, and yes, I think everything that both of you have said is completely accurate. Um, this was well-crafted. So the creator, Joseph Fink, is also responsible for Welcome to Night Vale. The other essay contributors that you mentioned, Jeffrey Craner, who's also a collaborator on Welcome to Night Vale, was the author of the Maker's Mark essay. And then Emma Franklin is a performance artist who did the final essay that I'm pretty sure that if the essay had a title, it would be It Could Be Glorious. And that is the title episode of the the podcast. That call and response piece, Matt, I think you really hit on something because that repetition is one of the things that made people like MLK really good speech writers. If you go back and listen to any of MLK's speeches, they have that repetition that, that, creates that call and response that's so deeply entrenched in what it's like to preach. And that's, that is what Emma Franklin's essay reminded me of is how emotionally evocative. If you go back and listen to, I have a dream right now, if that doesn't choke you up, you are a cold dead fish inside. I would agree. So with that. I want to, yeah. And I mean, I want to make sure it's understood. I, I thought it was beautiful and beautifully done. And very emotionally evocative for me. It really, I mean, it's, it's touching. And that's what's hard about that for me is I, when I listen to a podcast, I don't really, I kind of want to be lifted up. And that while this is uplifting, it's also very, you know, it's, it's concerning for what's out there um, and for what the, it, it, it makes me worried about society as a whole a little bit and what we're, you know, are we going to overcome? Is everything going to get better? Well, I, well, I, I think, think you have to define better in that regard because things are certainly going to change. And you know, absolutely. I, 
I have concerned that people are interested in it going back to the way it was. And the only people who are interested in it going back to the way it was were those who had unbridled success while it was uh, the way that it was. And I think what's next should be new and different. Well, and I think Emma Franklin's essay is a, is a call to action. It is a reminder that people like her and so many of the rest of us weren't in a great position to begin with. And we have an opportunity here to, to improve. Yeah. Yes. To make those improvements. I and agree. so, yeah, I, you know, whatever the fears might be, yeah, that that's in fact one of her lines. Be frightened, get frightened, stay mm-hmm. frightened. You should be because, and she doesn't say this explicitly, but one of the things that, you know, if you've been watching the news, we have things to be concerned about when it comes to our civil liberties. And if we're being aware, we can step out of this, you know, less like sludge out of a flipping tar pit and more like a butterfly, you know, like it's, we have an opportunity to just crawl out of this, like sad, pathetic humans, or we can, we can evolve. And that's, that's what I got. And that's why I find things like this uplifting is even though it reminds us of things that are hard and difficult, it also reminds us that we're not alone. Um, it, one of the things in Jeffrey Craner's essay that I found really, really affecting was his conversation about how we were all, we all felt this after Trump's election. We all felt, and by we all, I mean those that were negatively affected by it, that something tragic and horrible had happened. And it wasn't until I participated in the women's march that I felt human again, to be surrounded by a bunch of other people who were as mad as I was, who were as sad and scared. It gave you an opportunity to realize, and I think we all went through this, that because I think, you know, when the election happened, all of us who were unhappy with the outcome, I think we all had a moment of, am I the only person who who thinks that the path we're going down is horrible? And I think the Women's March... And, you know, these events enable us to go, okay, I'm not alone. There's a lot of people who share my opinion with this and share my fears. And if we, if we share those fears and we're all looking for the same solution or we're all working towards this together, there is hope that we will get th- that we will come out the other side in a better position. You'll come out the other side with more equality and more opportunity and not we are not going to be driven as a nation or as a planet into something that is so detrimental. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Matt, you looked like you had a, a contribution there. I did. Just when you said that these these essays, this this particular episode, uh, that's part of, you said it makes you feel like you're not alone in this. And that was what I took away from it. That was what I felt is the call to action and the solidarity in we're all in our places. Some of us have big places. Some of us have small places. Some of us have difficult places. Some of us have to leave our places and some of us have are hunkered down in our places and all of our, 
all of our experiences are slightly different, but they're oddly the same. There are so many things that are the same about our experiences that it's unlike other cultural events like this um, in that it it doesn't, doesn't care about gender uh, financial status, et cetera, et cetera, more or less. Uh, But being not alone is what this made me feel in the end. And given, given permission to care about what happens afterwards. Yeah. At at one point, um, Emma Franklin says, I dare you to cry. And I thought that, I mean, that hit me pretty hard because as an educator, one of my jobs is often to just whatever I'm going through, it just goes buried straight down because you've got to be on all day for kids. And, you know, and, and that doesn't go away, that pressure to be on and good and solid and reliable doesn't go away just because we're remote learning. That's still there. And being just it, it hadn't hit me until I started listening to this podcast, how much I was resisting just being bummed about this, how much I was resisting letting myself cry about it and how cathartic that can be. I, I agree. She, they had, she had a line in this that I'm going to misquote, but the gist of it was, uh, the, British perception that the virus was going to be intimidated by our stiff upper lips. Um, and I found that to be just a great point. If nothing else, this being, uh, unavailable, uh, to grieve the process you're going through right now is not helping to solve the problem. Absolutely. And I, I think we have a lot of cultural and, you know, the the British definitely have this in spades, but Americans too, and definitely men, it's, there's pressure to not feel sad about stuff. You're not supposed to cry about things. You're not supposed to be deep into your emotions. And yeah, I think everyone needs permission to feel this however they need to feel this. Well, almost everyone. <laughs> I think uh, there are toxic ways of handling this well, or, or there, I mean, not well, there's toxic ways of handling the situation that you find yourself in. If you find yourself uh, endangering the lives of others for bad reasons, for selfish reasons, for uninformed reasons, I would consider that a bad way to deal with this. I drinking guess that's alone, fair. Drinking alone in your tub isn't a bad way to handle this. It's not maybe the greatest way, but you know, whatever, as long as people aren't hurting other people, I think what we do to get through this is what we each have to do. Well, and, and I think your way, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Sir. Um, I think that there's, I mean, I don't think you're entirely right because I mean, drinking alone in your tub, doing something that's self-harming, that's obviously not, not the appropriate way to handle it either. Just because you're not injured, putting somebody else at risk doesn't necessarily mean that you're not putting yourself at risk. 
I'm sorry. When I was saying drinking alone in a tub, I was envisioning more like a bubble bath with a glass of scotch oh. and some alone time. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to describe, not uh, self harm. Gotcha. I apologize. That that is what I imagined, Matt. I, I've I've done that. That the bubble bath with a, and I felt like a cliche doing it, but it also was flicking. It was great. It was Absolutely. fantastic. Even if it's just worth a couple minutes at the end where you go, you know what? I that now I get to feel guilty about having that opportunity to do that <laughs> when somebody else potentially didn't. Like when you are on a conference call or a Skype call with somebody who's in a small apartment in Manhattan and they're on their bed and you're like, well, why don't you just go to your desk? And you realize, oh, they don't have space for a desk. That's not how they're, that's not how theirs is going. And they're on a middle floor. So they don't have a you know place to go. It's, it, it's those little tiny things that remind you that you are having a different, slightly different experiences than other people. Right. They maybe not worse, maybe not better, but they are certainly different. Yeah. They have 400 square feet and you have 2000 square feet. It's a very different experience. They've got three people in their house and you've got yourself and a dog. It's a different experience. Oh, absolutely. I was just the other day recalling one of my early apartments and going, Oh my God, someone lives there now and that's where they're living through this. And I almost want to just like drive by with some flowers or something. Like I'm so sorry because that is a shithole you're in right now. And yeah, I feel feel like we could all think back to like younger days going, "Mm, yeah, I'm glad it's not, that's not me right now. Uh, You can also think back to, I mean, there are people that some folks have to quarantine with that we're all probably glad that we don't have to quarantine with those people as well. I mean, there's some of that, like, you know what? I'm here with uh, my girlfriend, Robin, and she's an incredibly pleasant human being. She makes, does everything she can to make my life better. I try to do the same for her. That's a good environment. There are other people that I can imagine being stuck with for the last six weeks that someone might not leave alive. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to be honest, that's not much of a joke. Like that's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I would I would wager that for however many babies get made during this, divorces will happen too. Hey, this thing just shines a light on a spotlight and a magnifier on things. And things are good, things are good, things are bad, things are bad. If people are anyway, I don't need I don't want to talk about that anymore. So No, I'm 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 with you, Matt. Hey, sorry, can I before you transition to something else, Matt, can I mention something real quick? I I really wanted to talk about the dogs thing because we didn't really talk about that at all. Oh, but it, yes, please. So personally, that really um, resonated with me because I used to run in my old neighborhood daily basis. And so that Joseph Fink had this, this essay about all of the different dogs and all of their different personalities in his neighborhood that he and his wife get to experience by running around. And there was a dog in my neighborhood who was elderly and he just sat outside all the time and he was really sweet little black lab just old and in the sun relaxing spending his days and then you know one day I saw him and he had some growths on him and then one day I saw him and he looked like he'd had some surgery and then like the next week he wasn't there and it was like the shortest saddest story I have ever experienced in real life and 
without any human interaction, but also kind of sweet too, sweet and sad. And that's what Joseph Fink's essay really reminded me of, of how they saw a dog and they would see it all the time and it was a darling dog and eventually it wasn't there anymore because animals don't live forever. And part of it's, it's, it's that bittersweet part of how we connect with the animals too. And I, I mean, I experience this in our na- neighborhood now. You run around the neighborhood and you see all of these dogs and you know their personalities better than any of the humans because the humans aren't outside talking to you. The dogs sure as heck are. And so you, you create this, when you run and walk in a neighborhood, you have this relationship with the animals out there. Like my mother knows her neighbors through their dogs. Like, oh, that's so-and-so's dog. And this is that dog's personality. She couldn't probably tell you anything about the couple that owns that dog, but she knows how old that dog is and what kinds of treats it's like. It's just silly, but sweet. Absolutely. I agree with that completely. We do the same thing in our neighborhood. We, we uh, know the dogs. It's like a different mechanism for communication. It's uh it's like a dog, uh, ham radios or whatever. It's just dog, dog radio station where you or where you go th- from beacon to beacon in the neighborhood, checking out what the, where the dogs are, how things are going, keeping up with their stories. And, uh, in that regard, I think that this, uh, it could be glorious episode bookends very well. It starts with one form of communication and ends with the walkie talkie form of communication. And it, it, uh, does both of those things. So do you guys have anything else you want to discuss with the, uh, that episode? All right. Well, let's, uh, move on to our vocabulary word. Aaron, you want to go ahead? Absolutely. So vocab word of the day is discontinuance. Discontinuance is a noun. It's the act or state of discontinuing or the state of being discontinued. Cessation or like the discontinuance of business. To me right now, this is this felt like a word that feels like right now in society. We have stopped so much business and stopped so many things that we do. And now, now we're getting into a stage where certain some people want to start, they want to stop discontinuance. They want to continue. They want to ramp things back up. Others of us are resisting that in every way we can. And it just felt like the word of the day for me. There's, there's so much change and stopping that it just felt like a good fit. I really like that pick, Aaron. Yeah. I mean, thinking about cessation and how everything is on pause right now, to the point where we can't make plans for the future very well. I think that's that really made me think about how the difficult piece for me personally is that inability to really make some kind of future plan. But yeah, so homework for next episode. As a nod to our elders in the group, we are going to be listening to Violent Femmes' first album, Violent Femmes. And it is my suggestion that we all visit a local park. I'm going to try and branch out and get further away from our current park and get to one that's a little bit further away. And then I also have some su- suggestions. There'll be links in our Facebook page about 
public spaces and how those are affected by pandemics, how they have been affected and how they will be affected in the future. Sounds great. Is, is there any concern about having people go to public parks or are we? Is that right, right now, that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Wear a mask, stay six okay. feet apart. OK, well, I think that that about wraps it up, to be honest. Sounds great. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us again. Uh, this is episode seven. Uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks, Aaron. Thank Thanks, you. Anna. Thank, thank you. you. Be kind to each other. Bye.